The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's uh, seven minutes past state. Welcome to the forum. Mining in South Africa has often been to the detriment of the indigenous peoples of its communities as it has pr- proven to take away their ability to control their land and livelihoods. It pollutes their farmlands and water resources and in some cases forces relocation. The issue of near mining communities that came to light in the Benguenyama case involving uh, Genora resources when in 2010 the Constitutional Court set aside a prospecting right that the Department of Minerals Resources had granted on the grounds that the Benguenyama community had not been properly consulted. Now, with uh, Parliament's committee currently putting the Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Act under the spotlight, Weber Wenzel, Africa's mining head, Peter Leon, says South Africa should consider signing the International Labour Organization's Convention 169, which deals with the rights of mining communities. Of course, he also uh, highlights other issues. He joins us this morning uh, to discuss this. A very good morning to you and thank you very much for speaking to us, Mr. Leon. Good morning. You're welcome. And we also invite Kiliboni Mukwena, Deputy President of South African Women in Mining, to take part in the conversation. Very good morning to you. Good morning, Setiso, and Pe- to your listeners and the guests with you. Peter Demani is Chairperson of the South African Mining Development Association. He's also in conversation with us. Good morning to you, Mr. Demani. Perhaps I should just start with you, Mr. Leon, and and categorically ask whether or not we have enough transparency in our extractive industry. Um, And I'll start with gold mining because that is also under the spotlight given the one-year anniversary of uh, the Maragana uh, tragedy. And how do we define enough? Well, it depends what you mean by transparency. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, one of the major issues uh, where we're not sufficiently transparent is in terms of um, access to information. You know, where people are applying for rights because many other African mining jurisdictions have moved to electronic mining cadastres. That is, in other words, an electronic mining title system, so you can see immediately by pressing a button who's applied for what rights. Um, South Africa has tried to move in that direction, but is far from from there at the moment. So, in terms of you know who's got what uh, and how do you know who has what, um, that I'm afraid is still um, in the works here. So it depends really how you define transparency. Okay, and when you say that there is a need for greater transparency, are these the areas that you're looking at, for instance, uh, especially on the issue of mining rights? I think uh, the Department of Minerals Resources itself admits that, I think figures go back to uh, 2003, just in terms of who owns what in this country, uh, and something like a third of that is owned by the state and two-thirds of uh, mining rights and lands uh, in private hands. No, well, that, that thing is, that, that's now gone out the window because in 2004, uh, the Mineral Petroleum Resources Development Act was put into effect, uh, and that put all uh, mining rights under state custodianship. So there's no doubt about that. The state is the custodian of the rights. It then grants the rights to people who are qualified to apply for them, and assuming they, they get them, they, they will then be granted the right. But... Um, th- there's no doubt about the fact the state is the custodian. So it's not private ownership of mineral rights uh, in South Africa disappeared in 2004. Mm. But just so that I understand you correctly, under common law, uh, ownership of the land includes uh, ownership of mineral of the land. 
Yeah, well, you, you, it, it did, uh, and uh, under South African law as it developed in the 20th century, mm-hmm. you could separate the ownership of the mineral rights from the ownership of the land, and that's what happened under successive statutes. But as I say, uh, in 2004, all of that changed. Those mineral rights were put under state custodianship. Uh, there was a challenge uh, to that by AgriSA representing the agricultural community, um, which failed in the Constitutional Court, because AgriSA said that their, the farmers' rights, and obviously this, this was the sort of, I suppose, the most extreme case of potential mm. expropriation, the farmers who, who sat with valuable mineral rights on their land, by operation of law, lost those rights in 2004, um, when this act came into effect, and they said they needed to be compensated, and the court denied the claim, really, you know, broadly speaking, I'm obviously generalizing, uh, on, generally on grounds of transformation and need to, to redress what had happened in the past. So that's, you know, that's all behind us. But I think what you were really asking me was was more in relation to the rights of mm. indigenous communities. and. Um, mm. Okay, I just needed clarity on that so that we know going forward what we're speaking about. So if you're saying that South Africa should consider uh, adopting or, you know, subscribing to the ILO Convention 169 on securing the rights of indigenous people, why this particular law when one would argue that we have a constitution, we, we have the mineral rights law on our side and we actually have the Bill of Rights? Well, we have all of those things, that's quite true, and we also have a mining code, uh, which is the process of being amended, but the point I was really trying to make uh, at this particular forum was that the rights of, of communities, and I, I'm really talking about mine communities or mm. near mine communities, mm. haven't been sufficiently respected in the past. Uh, and I think it's absolutely critical. It's really micro-criticism of the way empowerment's played out that, that it has to be much more broad-based so that when mining companies empower people, they don't just empower a few individuals, that they empower their workers and they empower mine communities. And... Uh, as an extension of that, what I was also saying is that if South Africa signed ILO Convention 169, which it has not done, although it joined the ILO back in 1994 when we became a democracy, um, that would impose certain obligations on the country in respect of, A, the relocation of communities, which can be an issue uh, in relation to mining, uh, and B, and the need to consult those communities about the extraction of resources on their property. Because one of the consequences of the MP, of the mining code, uh, which, as I say, came to force uh, 10 years ago, more or less, um, is that because the state owns the rights to, to minerals, in other words, it grants the prospecting mining rights, it can grant rights over a community's land, that's mining rights or prospecting rights, without, you know, uh, the say-so of the community. I mean, the community has to be consulted, uh, but it doesn't really have any say about the extraction of minerals over its land. It has to be consulted. Mm-hmm. That's the only obligation. But if it, if it says, well, we don't like it, um, there's no obligation on the state or the mining company to do anything about it. So mm-hmm. that's why I was saying that I, I think consideration should be given to adopting this convention. Gileboni Mukwena, what's your view? I, I mean, uh, as Mr. Leon has just mentioned there, uh, 
uh, obviously has have been legislative changes, but uh, to my knowledge, according to the law, uh, mining companies can apply for prospecting rights by just saying that they held consultation, but there is no uh, there's very little scrutiny as to who attended, who they represent, and the level of so-called consultation that takes place. So let us first understand that the government played a big part and a fair part from the beginning through the Act and the Mining Charter later. This is not an event, but it is a process. The government also is trying to to consult with the, 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 the communities, but it's not an easy thing to do. But as women, we are seeing change. It is not going to be easy to see change, especially for people who are outside this this uh, industry. But there is a change. We are able to meet with the mining houses. We are able to meet with government as women. We are also able to meet with companies. It is not easy, but it is happening. At least, it is happening. Before 1994, it was not happening. Now that it is happening, let us look at it and do something about it. it what needs happening. to be done, Ms. Mukwena, because we, we're talking about transparency here, and um, I, I hear what you're saying, we should absolutely laud the inv- advancements, but to what end as well? If we say that people are meeting, are communities ultimately benefiting? Because uh, some uh, community organizations say, uh, instead of playing the role of regulator, we see a situation where government is collusive with mining companies in some instances. You know what, what has to happen, Tepiso? Uh, the government also has to look at the act so that it can also favor the, 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 the communities. But you'll find that the government is silent of, on certain issues. For instance, you'll find that the people will have a contractor who's going to work with them. And the government will never meet with this contractor, even if the contractor is not transparent on what he's doing with the community or with the people who are the license holders. If that aspect can be looked at, it will be easy for communities to be able to engage with this, this, this mining houses or whoever is coming into their place. But as I said, we are going to improve, or this is going to improve, but we need to, as government and also as business people who want to get involved in, into this mining industry, also come up and say, this is what we want. Communities must be given a chance to say, this is what we want, but they must be guided. If you guide them and teach them properly, uh, meetings must be held by the government, maybe before even the mine, the mine starts, so that these people can have an understanding, a clear and a correct understanding. Because you'll find that when you go to those communities, you'll find that there's confusion. Some people have said this, the government has to prepare the communities properly. Okay. Let's uh, speak to you then, Mr. Demani, and, and get your point of view on the issue of transparency and whether or not there is enough transparency and what to do about it. Uh, the government at some point saying that uh, they do not believe an organization like the Global Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative is the type of organization that South Africa should join. And yet if you look at the principles of the EITI and the standards that they are espousing, should 
we not consider joining such an organization? Well, Tepiso, I think, first of all, we have to agree to separate the different roles of the different stakeholders. Government has got its own clear role. The companies also, many companies have got their role. And there are certain obligations and expectations for the communities and the personal leaders. Um, Peter, earlier on, I get the fact that uh, jurisdictions have got the cadastre as to who owns what and where. I'd like to remind you that um, the Department of Mineral Resources, uh, about two years ago, undertook a, an audit as to who owns what and where. That audit, uh, during that time, there was also a moratorium on applications yes. for prospecting and mining rights. Now, that audit has been completed. I think, as we speak, it is still working progress is putting it together, whether it may be made public or not. But at least I think this government, which is the regulator, knows exactly who owns what and where. I think in that regard, we, we, uh, we, we know what, who owns what and where in terms of the government, which is the custodian of the mineral resources. And, and that includes However, coastal land. And does that include coastal land, which previously was said to be unaccounted for in the figures of who owns what in terms of the mineral and land rights? Well, the, 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 the audit was done in terms of the known applica- uh, uh, applications and, uh, and mineral rights holders. Okay? In terms of the, what the, the government has issued out as permits and, and mineral rights. They only audited what they knew, what they had on their, on their system. And I suppose this is a point that I've been trying to highlight, that uh, yes. in speaking about transparency, uh, and we acknowledge as a country that we don't necessarily know the full figures, given our political history, should this not be something that we should look at in a bid to gain greater transparency? Well, you are right, because again, remember, the government did not say that it does not want to, to make the information public. The government went out publicly and said, we are going to put a moratorium in place, and then we are going to get an audit as to who owns what and where, and to see if those who own those mineral resources or those who are doing the, 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 the prospecting permits are actually prospecting. That process was completed. The report at support has been compiled, or it's been compiled. We have to wait and give them benefit of the doubt and see what's going to happen with that information that has been acquired during the audit. I think you are right when you say that's the kind of information that the country needs and deserves to know as to, as Peter said earlier on, uh, who owns what when you apply, you must know, oh no, this piece has already been taken, it owns what. But remember, we also have an electronic system of application in places of Africa at the moment, whereby if you want to apply for a certain uh, permit in a certain area, if that area has already been uh, given somebody else, the application will be automatically rejected on the system. So it is in that, that there is some form of progress. We are not where you want to be, but there is progress. Okay. And just to mention to the listeners that we have been trying to get a hold of the Department of Minerals and Resources, and we have not received uh, any response from them, but hopefully we still will at some point. In Cape Town, I'm coming to you in just a minute. Uh, but, Mr. Leon, let's then get back to the different roles uh, that uh, the various entities must play, because part of the problem is disclosure, uh, not only disclosure of production, Figures, uh, ownership, but even the fiscal regime. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, one of the you, you raised the issue of the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative, and I've never understood 
why South Africa has never signed up to that because um, that really is an initiative around the resources in- industry globally which is focused on publish what you pay. The criticism of it initially was that it was really the first world trying to impose it on the third. But in fact, you know, countries like Australia, the US, the UK are all signing up to it. Uh, many African mining jurisdictions, most of our neighbours have signed up to it. Uh, Mozambique, for example, is now a full member, it was a candidate member. Uh, and um, I, I've never really seen a convincing reason why we don't sign up to it. Uh, and it's a, it's a very effective organization. So, I mean, that certainly promotes transparency. I mean, Pete Tamani's right in a sense on the mining cadaster, but he's not right fully because that system was that electronic cadaster, mining title system, was set up about two or three years ago, but still not functioning properly. Uh, whereas if you go to other African mining jurisdictions, uh, Mozambique's one of them, uh, it works extremely well. So, you know, again, I don't know. I mean, you know, Mozambique has a GDP of probably $12 billion. We have $400 billion. We're the most industrialized economy in Africa, but we can't seem to get these sorts of things right, which is, is surprising. Okay, I'm going to follow up on uh, on some of that, which you mentioned in just a moment, uh, Mr. Leon. 0891104208. We are taking your calls now. Ian's on the line. He's a geologist in Cape Town. Very good morning to you, Ian. Morning. Good morning. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you, Ian. You can go ahead. Right. Um, I've been involved in mineral rights applications for the last four years uh, for several of uh, my clients. And uh, it's taken that long for, for me to realize that the online application system, which is SAMRAD, is, is just a very elaborate way of informing some clique or some group of people what geologists are interested in. Uh, and that seems to be the main function of it. It, it, it. it is built on a shoestring budget of, I believe, something like a million rand using freeware uh, that you can download on the Internet. It's, a, it's an absolute uh, pain to use. The bandwidth is ridiculous. Uh, initially, they had these buttons on it that said view holdings or view land rights or view licenses. That button has been grayed out. You cannot view any of the holdings anymore. So that uh, uh, function of it, which was, Lauded at its at its launch is simply no longer available. Um, it is it is simply in my mind just an elaborate electronic way of providing information to some group of people within the government of the DMR as to what other people, i.e. professionals, are, are interested in. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ian. Uh, Ellison in Cape Town. You say you also work in the industry, but uh, dealing with transparency. Yes. Hi. Good morning. Um, we, we have been trying to work in the area of, of transparency and, and particularly um, in relation to companies and mining companies as well. And one of the things that we found difficult is that there are some very simple documents that are not being made available. So, for example, um, permits, uh, mining licenses, water licenses. You can't just go online and put in the name of a company and discover uh, you know, where they're entitled to mine, what the conditions are. And that's one of the things that we um, are very concerned about. London, for example, as an example, is, is, is a company that had a mining license but didn't have a water license. Um, and, you know, when we asked them for information about their permits, um, they didn't respond. So it's, 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 it's saying that it's, what we're saying is it's not all government, 
it's certainly DMR um, is not putting the information up. But companies aren't doing it either. The government has committed as part of the Open Government Partnership to make environmental information available in an environmental portal. But there's very little work that we've actually seen on this happening. We know that the Minister of Environment has been asked to pay some attention to this. Okay. But it's not it's not an issue that's only located in environment or DMR. It's, it's with the companies as well. Hi, listen, thanks so much for your call. Mr. Leon, I realize that uh, you're about to leave. Uh, you're joining us up until 8.30. If you want to comment on any of the issues raised by both Ian and Alison, but uh, if you could also just talk about the fact that you say... Uh, Part of what could help is if we adopt a, a two-tier board system like that of Germany, just in a bid of, uh, you know, ensuring greater transparency. Oh, well, th- that's a different point, but I mean, I yes, mentioned I that, realize. you know, in, 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 it, it, to the end. But I mean, I certainly just want to say that I agree fully with what Ian and Alison said, and they're both approaching this from from different angles. Ian's talking about the online mining cadaster system, the SAMRAD system which, I mean, he's working on it, he's a geologist, and he's saying it's not working properly. Um, it, it basically seems to suit some people's ends rather than the, the needs of applicants. And Alison's point is that you just can't access information about um, who, ha- who has which rights and whether you approach the, the government, the Department of Mineral Resources or Environmental Affairs or the companies themselves. And I think, you know, that quite frankly, that all goes to the lack of transparency around our mineral rights system and the licensing system, which really puts us on the back foot uh, in relation to other African mining countries, which are way ahead of us, because, in fact, in those countries, what the World Bank has done is given the countries financial assistance to set up proper cadaster systems. Um, now, we obviously don't need to go to the bank. We don't have, you know, don't lack those resources, but I can't understand why it's so difficult for the Department of Resources to go and put in place the right electronic mining cadaster system. So I think that's point number one. Point number two, uh, on the two-tier board system, that's a different point. Uh, Really what I was saying there is that it's a means of sort of enhancing more of a shareholder democracy in South Africa. And and the first point I was making was to broaden uh, empowerment by making workers' schemes and community schemes compulsory under the Mining Charter. I've also proposed that we look at adopting the German two-tier board system where you'd have a supervisory board and a management board. The management board of the company would obviously continue much like management boards of companies do at the moment. The supervisory board would, under the German system, comprise half of it would comprise workers' representatives. And I think that would, you know, enhance uh, that sort of shareholder democracy, uh, worker right democracy uh, that we're looking to try and achieve in this country. Peter Leon, thank you very much for joining us. Peter Leon is Head of Mining at Weber Wenzel, Africa. And we'll continue with our conversation with Kiliboni Mukwena, Deputy President of South African Women in Mining Association, and Peter Demani, Chairperson of the South African Mining Development Association, will also be joined by Malisela Dolo, who's an activist with advocacy on extracting campaign. 8.30, your news headlines now with Vabakshini Chetty. The Forum at 8 on SAFM.
And we continue with the forum. The question we're asking today is whether or not South Africa needs greater transparency in the mining sector. 891 you can join us, send this conversation, 34701. That's the SMS hotline at 2 rand per SMS. Uh, just to come back to you, Mr. Demani, on uh, some of the issues raised by Ian and Ellison, perhaps you would like to comment on that. But uh, just also really furthering the conversation about, uh, you did mention the fact that you believe that there's a great deal of focus on government but about companies which Ellison herself said that they're not making much of an effort in terms of ensuring that they release information about their operations but it's beyond domestic um, transparency there's also foreign transparency just to, uh, you know in line with investments the monies that are coming in who owns what and and what portion of that goes to communities near mining communities that are affected no, you're right but you know Sophie, so i think we have to be careful here because look at the issue of transparency the other gentlemen were correct about the issues of the companies not coming not being born as well i'll give an example most of the big established multinational companies have been paying royalties to government in respect of the, uh, the communities where they operate. Now, they use that as a, you know, a, 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 a way of just saying we've done it. The ticket box is done. They pay the royalty, they forget about it. In particular, in the Northwest, there is an account that is called the D account. That is being managed, administered by the Northwest government. That account holds different royalties payments from different companies for different benefits, beneficial communities. And it has not been audited for 19 years. Now, let's talk about transparency on, on the side of the companies. The companies are aware that they were putting this money aside in order to benefit the communities where they operate. And over 19 years, they have not seen any development <coughs> in those areas, and they kept quiet. Now, for instance, we have Maricana today. There's a place called uh, Okasi in Brett, where a loan is operating. Now, Okasi, if you find a brick and mortar house there, okay, mm. it's an exception as opposed to being the norm. Uh, the norm. They are having platinum in their the, the land. Royalties have been paid on a behalf, first of all, initially to the old Putsutoran government, which is appointed an administrator to look, take over, in this case, the issue of the Bamukhan. He was an administrator appointed by the President Mangope then to look after that, that account. Nobody is accountable for it, nobody is telling what happened to that, that money. Today, if you go there, there's nothing happening in that area. And now people are talking about the government being transparent, and we're also not saying, what about us in the, in the industry? Again, one can look at the issue of saying companies are marginal. Mm. They are not making profits. But when you say, what is it that makes you to be marginal? Where is transparency? You're saying, give us a basket and say to us, this is the problems. All they are saying, and which is not always true, is that the biggest contributor to the input cost of mining is the labor cost. And only in the gold mining sector that can be true because they are very deep. But every other sector, even if you look at the published financial results of the uh, listed companies,
not necessarily the biggest contributor or driving uh, uh, contributor to, to mining costs. So he said to them, why is it that you think that you cannot operate and, 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 and mine optimally and make profit? For instance, about three months ago, um, can I mention a company that listed in the stock exchange? Can you? Can I mention a company? Uh, well, if you are sure that you, it's legally defensible, as in there's no libel yes. involved, yes, you can I'll, go I'll ahead. Tell you what, what, oh, yes, I'll tell you what's happening. Three months ago, everybody was saying that the companies are having problems. And, and even Anglo Platt said that they need to retrench people. Remember, at the beginning of the year, there was this big thing about retrenching about 14,000 people. Hmm. Now, about two weeks ago, they come back and say that they have shown the profit. And then they're saying it is a little bit that the price will the price will come down, but the, the rental exchanges is just what, what made them to be profitable. Now, are you saying to me then, it's only whenever the market forces changes, we must then start saying, ah, we must close the mind and not ball them. Whereas we're in business, we take risks in business. That's the nature of, 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 of the beast. You cannot go into business without taking risks. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. So all I'm trying to say to you is that transparency should not only be one-sided. Okay. I said to you earlier on the issue of the government, yes, government also needs to be transparent. But we also, as industry, need to be transparent all right. I, I, in terms I, of our dealings. We have Malisela phillips Dollar, who's an activist with advocacy on extracting campaign on the line with us. A very good morning to you, Mr. Dollar. I'll come to you in just a moment, but I'd just like to get Ms. Mugwena to respond to what Mr. Damani is saying, just on this very issue, uh, about the obligations of, 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 of companies. I mean, if you look at the law... The fact that uh, mineral rights owners must uh, compensate or must be compensated by the exploiter of minerals uh, for the depletion of that non-renewable resource is that happening? And how how are companies declaring their dividends, their profits? You know what, Sepis? When it comes to women and these companies, it is very difficult for women to to get what they deserve. As a woman, you'll talk yourself blue for them to properly engage and fairly engage with you. So it is, it is a big problem. They, are not, they, they, they pretend as if they are listening, but there's nothing that they are going to do for us, especially as women. They are not interested in us. Yes, maybe a few companies are interested, but we have a solution. There is a way of solving this. If the provincial government can engage with these mining houses, it's going to work for us as women. If they can take women with them to say, these are the women that are interested in, in, the, in this industry, please help them. The national government played this part. The problem comes when we, we come down. Mm-hmm. And then the other problem that is also affecting us as women, you'll find that in the rural areas, women are sitting on mining, uh, these commodities, mining commodities, they are not able to, 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 to apply because of the technology, like the other person said. They cannot use this technology. So now the company exploits that, that position. These women can apply because they cannot use the, the opposite, but they are sitting on their resources in the rural areas. Mm. Perhaps I, I should then come back to you, Mr. Dolan, and ask this question on the issue of free prior and informed consent of communities. Is that observed at any level? 
Yeah, no, thanks very much. Uh, actually, you see, where mining is taking place is just a disaster within this indigenous people because of MPRDA. You see, uh, MPRDA is overriding all pieces of legislation, the land right, the environmental rights, and so forth. Now, there's a UN Charter on Indigenous, you know, uh, rights, of which South Africa as a member country to the UN, uh, it was supposed to incorporate this charter into the MPRTA. The second issue or challenge is around, you know, the transparency or disclosure. Because if uh, EIAs, for example, are conducted by the consultant commissions by these corporations are only, you know, subject to be disclosed to DME. Uh, the social and labor plan, the consultation are done through the traditional leaders. I think the last speaker, she mentioned an important, uh, you know, point that the women in the rural areas are disparate. Because in the rural areas, women are working on land. Now, if these corporations are overriding the land right, where these traditional women are living, and they're not being empowered by any mining activities, I have that, you know, understanding that socially it is starting impacting negatively to these rural women and rural indigenous people in general. Now, the indigenous knowledge system, also it is not considered or uh, incorporated into the environmental, you know, uh, impact uh, assessment studies by these corporations. These communities, for example, in Mokopane, Engloblad relocated three, you know, uh, rural uh, different communities to their relocation camps. Now, what is that? One of these communities, the Starkwater communities, the Rapila communities, they are now going to be re-relocated by another company. And this company is owned by the state by the name of, you know, African Exploration Mining and Finance Corporation. Mm. Now, you say there's no any plan because if you relocate a community to a particular land, have we made some researches that uh, those farms are not having these resources under the needs? Because if there are resources, these communities, again, are going to be relocated. Just in light of that, because the ILO Convention 169 does deal with some of those issues, the assessment of the livelihoods of communities before uh, prior and post-mining activity, would you advocate that we are a signatory of this convention? You see... uh there's one element here. In the rural areas, there is a high level of illiteracy, you know, within this traditional or indigenous people. And as a result, uh, in terms of advocacy, sometimes you take time to organize these people uh, because they are frustrated, they are divided by this cooperation through, you know, corruption practices, uh, subverting to other community leaders who are, you know, activists into their you know, business side, you see municipalities, for example, they are depending on the corporations in terms of the implementation of the IDP, 
because most of the municipalities are not resourced, and as a result, you see they are nailing finger with the cooperations. And uh, secondly, uh, you see when we talk of uh, uh, FPI concept, you see this means that uh, before any mining activities, there should be a consent by this indigenous people. All right, let so me say take yes or no. Mr. Tolo, let me take calls now, 891 Tracy, uh, apologies for keeping you holding. You're a lawyer, I believe, from the Center of Environmental Rights. Yes, hi, okay, good morning. Okay. Thanks, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yes, I'm an attorney with the Center for Environmental Rights, and um, we have a huge um, a mining project in which we work specifically with communities that are affected by, um, by mining in South Africa. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is just in answer to your question, should there be more transparency in the mining industry? The answer from our point of view is overwhelmingly yes. And I'd just like to go back to the point about access to information because this is the biggest problem for everybody around mining. There are provisions in the MPRDA about consultation. Um, we've always argued and we continue to argue that these provisions are woefully inadequate. But even given that, the um, communities are expected to consult with mining companies and with government without having access to the information about which they're being asked to consult. Government and companies are incredibly reluctant to provide us with basic information about mining, mining rights, mining permits, environmental impact assessments. And you can't expect people to be able to consult about these things if they're not properly informed about the issues. Mm-hmm. And so we, we argue constantly and vehemently that there should be a, a publicly available um, system where everybody and anybody can access mining permits and prospecting licenses and conditions of mining rights so that the public and communities can help the government monitor how mining companies are complying with their obligations. Thank you very much, Tracy, for that. Gavin, you are in the diamond industry. That's right, Abisa. I'm based in uh, Alexander Bay, and um, I'm part of an organization called the Equitable Access Campaign. Now, the big issue that we uh, have to deal with in the uh, diamond diving industry is the lack of equitable access. Uh, 70% of the shallow water uh, diamond concessions are simply being hoarded uh, by um, individuals based in other provinces that have no capacity or inclination for diamond diving and um, it's a case of well you either take our deal or leave it um, and there's no compliance um, and when we object to the DMR and we have meetings, high level meetings with uh, people um, we then ask for minutes of the meetings and we get refused uh, we simply uh, are told that we can't have the minutes so we've pretty much run up against a big wall we've also had um, uh, or given uh, representations in Parliament, but we, we're really backing to try and get traction because nobody seems to be taking us seriously. Um, and the, the the loss of um, the uh, diamond operators in the diamond industry from places like Monitor Bay and Port Nullis, who have migrated now offshore into oil and gas in uh, West Africa, has been extremely damaging to uh, these communities because Honoka Bay, for instance, sits right in the middle of a world-class um, marine diamond resource, but uh, there's there's no activity taking place on that concession. Mm-hmm. And the same, the same applies for the concession south of uh, Port Nullis. And the irony is that the only company that is a- actually doing anything 
um, and complying in any way with the provisions of the NPRDA and the mining charges added for, uh, which is in fact a parastatal, and you always get uh, uh, mud at uh, parastatals, but I can tell you that this is the one industry where, in actual fact, the parastatal is the only entity that's pulling up its socks mm. as, a, as a concession owner. All right, thanks a lot, Gavin. Gavin, in, in the diamond industry, and uh, Alex, you're calling from KZN. You say, uh, what do you want to find out how people can uh, apply for access to resources? Yes, yes. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yes, I think uh, I I shared the, the the sentiments raised by one of your gentlemen, the speakers, that uh, in the rural areas there are quite a number of resources, and they are all over the place. But the, the problem starts from that there are no geologists who can be able to assist people to identify what type of resources are there. You may think that there is lime in your area, but only to find that there are other things that can be used to change the lives of the people. But the question is, where are the offices? Who do you conduct? Where are the provincial offices for mineral and energy affairs and all those things? Are they in the districts? Are they in the local municipalities? Where do you begin as a person who is illiterate than a person who is informed and, 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 and literate? That's all right. a great question. Thanks a lot, uh, Alex. Uh, perhaps uh, let's start with you, Mr. Damani, if you, um, if you can answer the question, or perhaps uh, what, what, uh, what uh, Gavin was talking about, equitable access. And uh, we'll just go back, because I, I want to look at the CADESA system in just a moment, just in terms of what it's supposed to do, uh, in terms of greater transparency on the issue of applying for prospecting rights. Well, you know, the, 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 like I said earlier on, the benefit of a cadastre is to, to let people know who owes what when. But the issue of equitable access, which is what we as standards have always been saying, we've been saying all along that the ownership of the mineral resources by foreign-owned multinational companies of in excess of 90% of the mineral resources is not sustainable. Sentiment said in North Portnolos and, um, and also Alexander Bay that the only company that is adhering to the NPRDA is Alesco, which is a, a partly uh, a translated between the registered community and the government, so you can manage the parastatal. That's it to you. The other private people who own those things are not utilizing them and don't want to hand them over. But may I bring back to the law? There is a principle of use it or lose it that the government can utilize. The issue is that our laws are very, very well written. The problem is on the implementation and valuation and monitoring of those laws and the implementation of that, and people are carrying to the law. That's what the problem is. For instance, Section 2 talks about the department assisting people who were previously uh, um, historically, uh, 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 stopped from interacting in the mining industry. That they have to assist them. Also, section section hundred. But the issue is that it is vague as to what is the government supposed to do in assisting people. Statement from Kwasi Natal talked about where do you go? We have a council of geoscience. If you go to council of geoscience and say this is this farm that we have, can you tell us what we have on your register in case of minerals. They have more or less an inclination to say this is what might be there. So before you do anything, your first point of call is to go to your Council for Science. 
they are in Pretoria, and I understand they are trying to set up other regional offices, but they're not all fully, fully functional. So, transparency again, for me, it's purely because most of these companies would not want the people to know that they're actually monopolizing the, the, the resources. Because if it is put out there that company X controls certain amount of uh, mineral resources, which in terms of the act may be monopolistic, the government is then in, in, in entitled to, 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 in terms of the minister's powers, to take away certain uh, uh, mineral rights. So the issue is just implementation of the law. That's the problem. Okay. So that is another challenge. We're taking calls, uh, just and, uh, and, it's the last few calls, 891 Yes, you say, Mr. Taman. You know, it's a bit that Tunion uh, left. You know, the issue of us talking about international um, uh, 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 agreements with LAO and everybody else, my concern is that it does not take cognizance of our historical legacy. You know, we have been compared with um, America and, uh, and, and, and Australia, and both those are developed countries. You are still a developing country. Therefore, you cannot take um, resolutions or, or, or uh, world or developed countries' systems and try to implement them while you are still developing. Mm. And again, the issue is very paramount. Is remember, since the 1800s, laws were passed, even under the Cape Colony, that states that Africans, must, or natives in those days, should not be allowed to reach up concessions in the diamond fields. And they should not mind unless they are supervised by a white person. That is almost 150 years ago. Now, that legacy still continues to this date. I mean, if you say to me, is it sustainable that the majority of the people who are 90% of the population only own or control at least 5% of, of, of the mineral resources? Okay. And you say that's sustainable. I say, I think that's actually Okay, perhaps I, I should also then come back to you, uh, Mr. Dollar, and ask this question. Given the fact that if we're going to re- revert back to the law, the fact that mineral rights represent a parcel of rights, uh, which include the rights to prospect and mine together with other ancillary rights. But the bottom line is, uh, even with these amendments that have been made to the law, would communities whose effectively believe that they still own the minerals and the land of which that's been mined, that will, will that ensure that they are being taken care of, that beyond consultation, that they uh, meet the requirements of the law in terms of compensation and environmental rights, etc.? You see, uh, South Africa does have, you know, uh, good, good, good laws and so forth. Uh, pieces of legislation are being amended from time to time, you see. But the problem is the issues which are raised by the communities, you see, genuine issues which are raised by the communities are not taken seriously. Secondly, the government is seriously neglecting question of empowering these mining affected communities with information. Like, for example, uh, the the last speaker mentioned that uh, Section 12, Section 100 of MPRPA is enabling the department to help the communities which are intending to apply for the prospecting or uh, permit for mining. 
and uh, uh, geosense survey uh, offices in Pretoria can help. Now, you see, the rural communities, for example, indigenous people in this province, in Limpopo, how can they access those geosense survey offices in Pretoria or in the Mokopan area? Again, how many communities they've been, you know, uh, helped to mm. process applications for prospecting and uh, objectives has been, you know, uh, achieved. I don't think there's any community in this country. Okay. Secondly, you see, uh, I was involved on a public consultation for the review of the amendment of NPRDA in the Mapela area by the DMR. You see, they don't include the community. When the community comes to the public hearing, they will raise irrelevant issues, for example, that the blasting by Anglo blood is polluting, you know, uh, the area. Well, what is required actually relevant to the public, you know, uh, hearing is the amendment, how the communities okay. are going Mr. to benefit. Well, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to have to just end it there with you because we are wrapping up. Just a final word from you, uh, Ms. Mukwena. I was actually hoping that I'd get to ask you uh, about uh, one more thing, but... Perhaps your final word on the issue of transparency? As Sawima, as we are talking to the government about different issues, and this one of transparency is very important. We are going to talk about it with the government so that we can go back to our members and the community, communities and see what is it that can be done in order to correct the wrongs. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, to all of you. And that is Peter Demani, chairperson of the South African Mining Development Association, Kiliboni Mukwena, who should serve as deputy president of the South African Women in Mining Association. And thank you as well to Maricela Phillips, dollar activist with advocacy at Extracting Campaign. We were also in conversation with Sir Peter Leon. He is head of mining at Weber Wenzel, Africa. And thanks to you for SMS. And just reading one or two, Mzim Kuzun says, our minds are failing us in terms of social responsibility. Mukhatla says the speaker's right. Come to Dubai and see just how capitalism, cronyism is unraveling through mining. Amanda says mining rights should not be granted without license to operate signed by community. Thanks to you. Thanks to the team. It's nine o'clock.